There's a guy by the name of Johan Hari, H-A-R-I, who's uh, put out a book called Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. Now, I haven't uh, had a chance to read this book yet. Uh, I want to as soon as possible, though. But I've read uh, a couple articles about the book and about um, the perspective that he puts forth about addiction. And uh, I think it's fascinating. Um, any of you who've checked out uh, my website, integralhealthresources.com, may know that I, I used to work as an addictions counselor with adolescents uh, several years ago. And I'm also a counselor in training now, getting ready to be licensed. And uh, one of the things that's just driven me crazy, uh, especially in the field of addiction studies, really the mental health professional field in general, but especially in the field of addiction studies, is that um, the status quo oftentimes, or or the view that's put forth by the quote-unquote experts, often is uh, not only not supported by research, but um, just flat out, of course, in my opinion, just flat out wrong, and even um, you know creates a, a kind of a harmful situation for clients who are suffering. And how this can be, how helping professionals can uh, be so invested in views that uh, just don't make any sense, at least not to me, um, has everything to do with uh, how you interpret research and uh, this is a topic that you know I discussed in the last podcast how essentially you know we're at a point in this age of information where you can find research studies to support just about any view that's out there and if a view is uh, something that is connected to um, someone who has power either financially or politically that view can be advanced uh, sort of in the name of science and most people aren't going to question it because we're you know we're just not that educated about um, the scientific process and the research process so in this way pretty much any agenda can be pushed forward and and our the history in our particular society when it comes to addiction and drugs is just um, sad, I would say laughable, except that it's had, you know, some just terrible consequences. If you just, you know, just take the war on drugs in general, uh, what a, you know, a colossal failure it's been. And it's all based on just faulty premises. And these faulty premises have been sort of um, propped up by uh, bad uh, interpretations of research, false interpretations, different uh, religious points of view. I mean, when you look at the 12 steps and so forth, there's a, a whole history behind that that has to do with uh, viewing addiction as a spiritual weakness or spiritual disease. And then, you know, you, you take, and the 12 steps, of course, is, is still uh, prominent today. I mean, almost every rehab center and treatment center for addiction in the United States is uh partially at least based on 12-step models and and you combine that with sort of the new model of uh, addiction which is that it's a chronic relapsing brain disease this is what's put put forth by the National Institute of Mental Health and that um, it's all about dopamine receptors and so forth and so the new treatments are going to be 
things that directly impact that dopamine system. And needless to say, uh, I think these these are just you know completely the wrong directions. I mean, anyone can can do research on anything they want to, but if we're if we're going to sort of channel resources into a point of view or in a, a model of uh, you know addiction and helping people with addiction I think we're going absolutely in the wrong direction so anyway I'll post a link to this this article uh, written by Johan Hari it's fascinating and one of the things that, that he points out in his article is uh, the country of, of Portugal uh, had you know a terrible drug problem with heroin where there was, you know, a big percentage of, of people in Portugal were uh, addicted to heroin. And they, I guess, initially took a uh, sort of a war on drugs approach, sort of like we do in the United States. And the problem just kept getting worse and worse. I think at one point, 1% of the population in uh, Portugal was addicted to heroin. So instead, they just said, hey, you know, this this war on drugs thing is not working let's uh, do something completely different and they decriminalized all drugs and uh, instead of throwing people in jails and arresting them they set about to uh, you know reconnect these individuals to um, society provide them with housing uh, subsidize jobs give them some sense of purpose in life and um, get them to you know work on their uh, their psychological selves and they just took a completely different approach to the problem and the results have been uh, amazing um, injecting uh, drug use is down by 50 percent in Portugal now so that's uh, you know that's a, that's incredible but uh, that all that comes from really changing the way we're looking at things. And I know in the United States there are pockets of what, what's called, you know, harm reduction approaches that do take a very different approach to addiction where, you know, in needle exchange programs, that's an example of harm reduction. Um, any sort of approach where, you know, you believe that, you know, moving toward moderation is a step in the right direction would be a harm reduction approach. But anyway, I mean, this the problem is there's very entrenched interests that are, are, you know, highly invested in this this other way of looking at drugs, and so it's going to be very and looking at addiction. So it's going to be very very hard to uh, to change things. And um, Harry mentions in his article he started out um, also thinking, hey, you know, when it, it sort of makes sense that you know, drug addiction, you know, the cause of it is going to be a physiological thing. It's just simply a matter of, you know, you take very addictive drugs, it's going to change your physiology and you're going to become addicted. And most of us uh, intuitively, I think, believe this. I mean, some of you might remember the studies that uh, happened years ago where, you know, rats would be uh, drinking from various water bottles and one would have, you know, cocaine in it and one would just be water. And that these rats would get a taste of the cocaine, and then they, all they would do is just go for the cocaine to the point where they turn down food, turn down, you know, everything else, and just use the cocaine until they died. And this, you know, research study or set of studies was used to 
promote uh, this idea that um, that's what addiction was all about and that um, you know we what we needed to do was just restrict access to these dangerous chemicals that would drive anyone including a rat to uh, the self-destructive behavior what few people know about and what uh, uh, something that Har Hari points out in his article is that there was a professor of psychology named Bruce Alexander who took the uh, those rat experiments and did something very interesting what he noticed was that the, the rats in these initial experiments were were put in these cages and they had nothing they had no other options it was just you know all they could do was either take the cocaine water or uh, or just somehow stop taking the co you know there, there there was nothing else in the cage there, there wasn't an alternative to taking the cocaine laced water except you know just to stop doing it and drink the other water and that didn't um, seem to that situation didn't seem to mimic you know the human situation at all so if a rat's in a cage all by itself it doesn't have anything to do but take the drug so you know, it didn't surprise Alexander that these these rats ended up just taking the drugs because, um, you know, what else are they going to do? So he 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 made a different sort of cage setup that was, you know, full of all kinds of stuff, colored balls and the great rat food. You know, the best food that you know rats can can get, I guess. Tunnels for them to scamper down, social opportunities, whatever. Just a a great. Uh, a great life for a rat. He called it the rat park. So in the rat park, um, he, he set it up the same way where they would uh, have a regular water bottle and the one with the cocaine in it. And uh, But what he Alexander found was the, the rats in the rat park didn't really take to the drugged water um, for the most part. None of them died. And... Uh, most of the uh, the rats seem to choose, you know, the other sort of more positive um, alternatives to the cocaine. And so based on this sort of model, which obviously, you know, just a, a slight shift in those studies really, you know, really changes um, the conclusions. I mean, he even, uh, he even tried something where he he put rats in there that were heavily addicted you know i think it the article says well that these rats are in there and you know they're put in there for like a couple of months just with the cocaine water so they're just super duper addicted to the cocaine and then he uh then he sticks them into the into the rat park where they have you know all kinds of uh other opportunities and a lot of these rats um, you know had went through a withdrawal period and so forth but they soon stopped heavy use of the drugs and went back to having an, a normal life so the idea is it's it's being in it's the type of cage that you're in that makes the difference not the drug itself it's the environment so the good cage the rat part cage uh, is what saved these uh, these rats, and there are sort of analogs to um, 
the human situation and and uh, Hari points out soldiers coming back from Vietnam many many soldiers were addicted to heroin uh, heavily addicted to heroin when they were in Vietnam and then they came back and what we would expect is you know oh, most of these soldiers would just start you know continue use of the heroin because it's quote unquote this addictive substance that's changed their you know it's changed their brains it's changed their physiology but that actually didn't happen the vast majority of soldiers coming back from Vietnam did not continue to use um, to use drugs once they got back and again the notion is like their cage changed you know in the context of Vietnam um, there was uh, you know not a whole lot of other things that maybe these soldiers could have done to cope with the horrors that they saw but when they got back home at least most of them you know had had other things they were in a completely different setting so it really changes uh, the perspective on it it's not simply a chemical thing and there's other examples that uh, Hari uses I mean he says you know some of the the opiates that they you know that we get um, pumped into us when we're going in for surgery are so incredibly strong if it was simply just exposure to these very very potent drugs that make us addicted you'd think that we'd all leave the hospital and we'd and we'd all be addicted to these opiates but that very very rarely happens Harry makes the case that you know the alternative is that addiction is really about connection and about human connection and if you can you know find ways to enhance that in people's lives then that is sort of the best way around um, addiction as a, as a huge public health problem. And this very much makes sense to me. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, rings true not only in my personal life, but and based on my professional experiences that um, people, not everybody gets addicted and, and there's a reason why some do and some don't. And it's not simply like a genetic or a physiological thing. Uh, some people just don't have the skills, the tools, the type of uh, environment where they have important connections and relationships and different ways to deal with the slings and arrows of, of life. People that don't have this, when they discover drugs or any other addiction, any other way of sort of exploiting their own nervous system to, to give them pleasure, or to give them escape, you know, they're naturally going to uh, rely on these um, more more harmful ways of, of coping because they don't really have alternatives. And it's harder, it's messier to focus addiction treatment on providing these these other alternatives to give people ways to, to reconnect with society, to reconnect with family, to reconnect with themselves. But if we're really serious about, you know, changing uh, addiction in society, then we you know have to be willing to do the hard work. But um, I encourage everyone to read this article. I'm going to read the book, and I'll, I'll reserve you know further sort of comment until I read the book again. It's called "Chasing the Scream: The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs" by Johan Hari. 
And uh, I'll let you know what I think after I, I read the book. But um, his basic thesis, I think, um, just makes a whole lot of sense. There are pockets in the United States that are, are doing things based on this general idea. There are, you know, like I mentioned, Portugal, there are other countries that have started stopped looking at addiction as a, as a crime and, um, have, you know, have begun looking at it uh, as having to do with um, human connection. And so I think this is a really, a really promising model. And I, you know, look forward to engaging with this perspective uh, in my future work. And once again, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach me via email, bob at integralhealthresources.com, or on Twitter, at integral underscore health. And uh, just any feedback, questions, comments are welcome, and uh, I'd be happy to respond uh, as soon as I can. And um, Or if you have another topic that you might be interested in having me uh, engage with, just let me know, and uh, maybe in a future episode um, I can discuss that. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time.